Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that can't touch Marcus Bontempelli because he's too good. My name is Matthew Donald and I have Nick Galea with me in the studio as I do every other week. And if you love Marcus Bontempelli as much as we do, then you can listen to us wax lyrical about him throughout the course of the season in all of our earlier episodes uh, throughout 2021. You can check them out wherever you get your, lo- your, your all of your other podcasts, you know, including Apple and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also check out our social media channels on Twitter at the Salty Bulldog. Also type in the Salty Bulldog into Facebook and YouTube to get our content there. The.salty.bulldog if you wanted to look at our Instagram page. And we've also got our website, of course, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nick Lair, defeated the old enemy, six and zero. And the Western Bulldogs still top of the ladder. It's a pretty good time. It is a very good time. So what's that now? Uh, as you say, top of the ladder. We're... First for points four, and we're probably first for points conceded, aren't we? Most likely, and with an amazing percentage to boot. It's it's a fun time to be a Bulldog supporter for sure, and I'm pretty sure that um, yourself and I and uh, another friend of ours too, and uh, Brad Sultana, had a, a good trip up in Canberra. Really, really nice time up there, and uh, quite beautiful. But the best part about it was was bringing home the four points. So yeah, absolutely. We uh, we did go up to the up to, to Canberra over the weekend. So we've got back now. Uh, we just spent the, we got there on Thursday night and spent the Friday and then came back on, came back on the Saturday, just on, on your point about best attack in the league and best defense in the league. That's still the case. We've definitely, we're definitely ranked clear. Number one for points scored points conceded. We've got the number on Melbourne by just one point, uh, 360 points conceded us and Melbourne 361. And just the, the, the top of the, the show, Bonds and Pelly, he's too good. That was that was an amazing reference. That, that was, was hilarious. For those who who want to hear it, there's a point with about eight minutes to go in the, in the final term when when Bontepelli's got the ball and you hear someone in the crowd he cry out, "I oh, can't touch him. He's too good." And the best part about those grounds like Marnica is that you could pick up that audio from the crowd very clearly, and that was hilarious and it was very accurate. Bontepelli that was a great thing space. to be listening to when we. Uh, First watch that again. Was it probably 1.30 in the morning? A few hours after the completion of the match? Might have been, yeah. I wanted to watch the, yeah, the last quarter. I wanted to watch the last quarter and we, and we heard that and that, that was fantastic. And it's still fantastic. Yeah. We lost the plot listening to that. That was brilliant. Yeah. No, that was good. Let's talk a bit about the game though. So we'll get started. So arm wrestled for three quarters. Uh, ran away with it a bit in the end. So the final score is 15, 14, 104. The Bulldogs, the Giants, 9, 11, 65. Goals were shared around pretty evenly throughout the night. Bruce Norton, Dale Liberatore, McNeil each kicking uh, two goals. Hunter McRae, Bontepelli, Johannesson, and Trelaw each got a goal of their own. Also, McRae with forty disposals. So we're keeping track on his his surge towards the top ten all time leading possession getters for the Bulldogs. He is now three hundred away from breaking into that, and even three hundred. I think the question is more so: 
how much can he build into that league? So 300 away from breaking to the top 10. Yep. Do we have a tally of how much or how far to go he has to still reach to get to number one? We don't oh. do that tally yet, but I wonder I wonder how far he yeah, is to get I'll, to there. I will get that uh, up and I will see if I could find that. Certainly Scott West is the leader and he's a fair way off it. But in terms of averages at the moment across the career, McRae has him covered and, and has him covered quite comfortably. 28.06 before Friday night. 28.06 disposals per game. We'll look to, to find that out. Trelaw is another one who keeps finding the football and keeps contributing in, in such a positive way. He had 35 disposals. He was fantastic throughout the, the night. He's been an extraordinary pickup. Dunkley with 29 disposals. Unfortunately, he suffered a, well, what we, what looks like a dislocated shoulder. He could be out for a fair while. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Got the smother count up to 11, though. But unfortunately, it looks like we may have to put a pause on that. Uh, Libertore with 27 disposals. He was excellent as well, as was Bontepelli with 26. And they just saw there. Another one that was uh, another one that was quite impressive, of course, was Alex Keefe too, I think. He was. I'll see if I could get Keith's numbers up here. So he had 13 disposals, uh, eight marks, three contests, and I reckon at least three or four of those would have been intercept marks as well. I would suggest I so. The, I had to see if I could find the the exact numbers. Nick, as I said earlier, it was an arm wrestle up until three-quarter time, uh, really. So six goals apiece at three-quarter time. I don't think the lead ever got beyond 15 points at that stage for either side during the match. We had the and chance to push it out to 20-odd, didn't we? Or, we, we well, we did have a couple of chances. Yeah, so in the third term, we were, we were definitely on top, but we couldn't really make the most of the opportunities. A lot of, lot of um, Giants getting in a time they had to smother the ball or a couple of opportunities at, at goal. It was um, touched. It was touched. It was touched. <laughs> everything, everything seemed to be touched, I'll tell you, on that night. Touched or smothered or, or bouncing the wrong way or, or missing opportunities. Or taken over the line and paid as a goal. It was all these other things too. I know sometimes you can walk away from a, a win and not learn a lot about a site. And I know you've done it in, in certain games. Not not every game, not a lot of games, but there are games where you do that. Was there anything you felt like you were able to take away from either the first three quarters or from the last quarter? I think you've got to reiterate the point that, as we know, in football, not everything is always on your terms and very rarely is it. And for us to be able to put such distance between well, between us, of course, and the Giants in the final quarter, uh, not just through the manner of the goals, but the way they were able to break through their how would I say sluggish structures to prevent it uh, to bring the ball from getting onto the outside as much as it could, as much as we tried to anyhow. And it comes through a lot of clearance and contested possession numbers. I'll, I'll make sure I put these uh, details, of course, in my five things we learned for sure. But I think it's just the way that we went about it there and how we grinded them out of it. And um, they probably didn't have, as, of course, the right personnel to, to try to execute such a game style for four quarters. And they did it successfully for probably maybe two and a half terms leading up into that. You know, there were patches, of course, in the latter half of the first and early stages of the second where we sort of looked like we broke away from them, not margin-wise, but but playing-wise and style. So I think that's one thing. I could also focus on the idea that this surely, even forget the goal-kicking aside, surely a match um, like Norton's on Friday night puts to bed the theory of key defender. Do you think that that's probably it? enough to, to put those to sleep. We've spoken a lot about Norton, the key forward and the Bulldogs performances as a team 
uh, and the and the correlation of his own performance. So normally when Norton has a good game, the Bulldogs tend to play well. And Norton's been very good this season. He's kicked multiple goals in every game still. Mm-hmm. One of only, I think, heading into the weekend, he was he was only one of four or five players to actually do that, to kick multiple goals in every single game. So it's two, three, two, 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 two. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So two, three, and then and then four bags of two. So he's up to is it the 12 or 13 goals for the season then in that case? It'd be 13 goals. I'd like the idea still of him as a forward. I think he's not the finished product though. I think, and I've defended his kicking for goal in the past as, as being on par with some of the, the bigger, bigger name key forwards in the competition. But in the last couple of weeks, it, it feels like it has been a bit of an issue that some of the opportunities that he's, that he has missed, you you would expect him to score. There was one in the third term that he missed from about oh, it wasn't wouldn't be any more than twenty meters out, and we were we were at that end. And it, it and I think you said at the time that it, it may have the the capacity to cost us games in the future in really big games with with close moments, finishes. Yes. Yeah, like I've, like even a, even a final, um, which I, I also probably will potentially touch on. I think as well. I think that's something face. that's got to be got to be worked on because aside from that, everything else he does is is brilliant. Everything else he does is is fantastic and and adds so much to the side. I think we've got a question. I think we've got. A, I think certainly the the question of whether Norton is is shifted into defence has to be entertained when you've got the key forwards that we've got running around in the VFL who are no doubt deserving of an opportunity just based off off their form. Uh, so, and we'll touch on them later, but Eugle Hagen and Shaki have been excellent for the most part in the VFL this season. They're not, they're not the finished products yet by any stretch of the imagination, but in, you're going to have to bring one of, if you want to bring them in, it may mean that you've got to either take one of Norton or Bruce out of the side altogether or put them in a different spot on the ground. I think Norton at center half back is the most logical option if you have to do that. I've also just calculated some numbers very, very quickly then, Matt, whilst you were discussing. Uh, in games where this is across his career to date and including the GWS game, to be fair, I am assuming he took more than two contested marks against the Giants. I think it's pretty safe to assume that, though. Oh, yeah. Um, so in, in games where Norton has taken two or more contested marks, the Dogs happen to have a record of 23 and 8. So this is when he takes two or more contested marks. They've won 23 mm-hmm. out of 31 games. Yes. Admittedly, two matches last year where he took four. One was the elimination final and the, the Geelong match or the Geelong disaster. Of course, those matches ended in defeat. Mm-hmm. That's for the most part. So what did I say? 23 and eight, which leaves a record of what? From the other remaining matches. That leaves a record of nine and... 18 in games where he's taken less. Is this start? When's this starting from? Is this starting from his his career? Or is this starting his, from I've his... included his debut from his debut. Okay, so this isn't so that that does take into account games where he wasn't playing as a forward. Not at all, but there's still a fair few games, of course, where he's taken a fair set of contested marks in his debut season. Uh, what was he third for key defenders that year behind uh, Jeremy McGovern and Majak Dor? So not too bad for a first year player that. No. But yeah, so what did I say? 23 and eight when he's taken two or more contested marks. That's a pretty fair record, you know. And clearly it says the best place to take contested marks 
for his skill set, which is, you know, leaping at the ball and such and not sitting under a high ball. You know, he's still good enough to do that, yep. but you can do that in a consistent basis as a forward, can't you? Not yep. always having to be one that's having to worry about the player coming up your back and, and stuff. Not that it's a problem for him, but it's his best attribute, that, that leaping mark, that contested mark, their pack marks and such. I think it's just about the, it, for me, it's about the kicking for goal with, mm. with no one. That, that's, that's the only reason you wouldn't want him in the forward line. That's about it. The only everything reason. Else, yeah. I said, I'll reiterate the points later on in my piece, but yeah, I'll, I'll make mention that he's almost the complete forward. Just that little, little, um, at the moment, of course, it's a very important thing to focus on, but it is just one flaw in his game at the moment. Yeah. No, I, no, I definitely agree with that. It was uh, four contested marks. Um, Thank you. So there you go. As well. Uh, You've mentioned, I mean, we mentioned Keith Early's, um, obviously, he's a, he's arrived from last season. He, I think he took five intercept marks. I think uh, I looked it up. I wanted to ask about arrivals a bit. And because this has been a question that's been on my mind for, for a couple of weeks. And I asked this to you on the way back, but we haven't actually put it on, on record on the podcast. And we've certainly not asked our, our loyal listeners as well. And we will throughout the, the course of the week. I've wanted to do that as, as well. The Bulldogs have garnered great success out of arrivals from other clubs. Now, in recent years, really, I mean, you think about the players that we've brought in from other clubs, they've all been hits. There have been very few misses. I, I can't think of any real misses. But there are two that have come in over the off-season and have been huge for the club in, in very different ways. But who six rounds in do you think is having the bigger impact so far? Adam Trelaw or Stefan Martin? I'd probably still say, of course, structure-wise, of course, it's going to go to Martin, but I still believe that Trelaw for sure. It's ironic, though, because we'll find out now in the next set of six matches just how important the acquisition of Martin really is. With oh, Not to say English is going to be out for six weeks, for sure he isn't, but you know the idea of him not being able to play that forward ruck role where he's done quite well so far this season, he's still, at least he's in the top five for contested marks for the competition, was leading it at least the week or two beforehand. That's it's it's strange, you know. We've got a number of midfielders, many of them are accumulators, but they've all started to add a lot more damage to their game once again. So we know McRae and and Hunter seems to have rectified it to an extent over the past three or four weeks. I'd still give the points to Trelaw because there's just such a big point of difference in our midfield. And instead of always having to rely on having to outgrunt the opposition, now we can add it. Uh, we can also outclass them genuinely, not just on the inside, but the outside as well. And I think that's what you were, you were saying as well. You're saying structurally it's Martin because Martin, Martin feels, and, and you said this as well, I'll, I'll quote you, Nick, Martin feels a need. So we assessed at the end of last season that English rucking on his own, it just wasn't sustainable. Mm. He needed a partner. And we went and got Stefan Martin, and Martin was a player we've been targeting for a few years anyway. He fits the beverage mold, what a, what a, what a beverage Ruckman looks like, what a, what a successful beverage Ruckman looks like. He's come in, he's, he's made a huge impact. He's, his biggest contribution, uh, as a couple of people have said, is freeing up English and allowing English to do what he's been able to do in the last few weeks, which is get forward, take marks, kick goals. Also help out in, in the Ruck. But Trelaw feels a want. We didn't need Adam Trelaw. He was a player that was available 
a very good player that was available, which, and those sorts of players don't come around very often. We were able to get him, and, we, and then we looked to make a deal happen. And you know, it's sort of a bit of bit of right place, right time sort of stuff. But that was that was the difference between the two. And I think in terms of performance, Trelaw is he's one of the best players in the the competition. He's 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 definitely very close to the top in the the salty bulldog player of the year votes. I would suspect early on in, in the season. But in terms of importance for not only what he does as a player, uh, but what he allows other players to do as well. Not, not just not just with us well. too. Not just with us too. I think he'd surely be leading the Copeland Copeland Medal, wouldn't he? <laughs> pretty co- pretty confident he would be as well. Maybe so, but they can the... still claim a third of him. So you know, they can still claim a third, third of him, him for sure. Get back so on tax while they're at it. So do a third of his votes for? So should, should I take a third of his votes off? Potentially, when I, when I vote just to make it a bit equal, to... just to make it more yeah. even. Who's who's you doing it amongst the rest of the players if you want? Who's doing... theirs up by a third? Yeah, who's doing the unofficial Collingwood podcast? I should I should give the votes to them. I might send them in the mail. You know, well, here's the funny them. thing. I happen to know someone that does the unofficial Collingwood podcast. Okay. So yeah, you just dish it off to me and I'll dish it off to them. Sure. No, we'll definitely look to, to get in contact with them. Now, I wanted to, to make mention as well of the, of the streaks. So this is six in a row that the Bulldogs have, have won at the moment. Have done this very often, um, Western Bulldogs? The last time that they did it, was part of a or was spread across two seasons. So the last time they won six games in a row was spread across two seasons and it consisted within that a premiership. So you're saying we're guaranteed? Not necessarily guaranteed because there have been times where we've won six in a row and not even made finals. <laughs> That's true. That's the funny thing. That's the ironic. But both I could not believe it when you brought those numbers up to me yesterday or the day beforehand. Yeah, but both years that we've won a premiership. So 2016 and uh, 1954 uh, included streaks of six consecutive wins. Mm. Both those seasons also um, actually included a streak of uh, consecutive wins that spanned across two seasons. So I mentioned the, the 16-17. So we won the four finals in 2016, and then we won the first two games of 2017. And and similar in 1954 as well, we won. I think won the last four games of the, the season, including two finals, and then won the first two games of 1955 as well. What else? I think I sent you a graphic last night for sure, which we had a little bit of a text message conversation about. Uh, what was it? So this was um, sent by Max Lawton on Twitter, at Max Lawton, of course. So questioning, are our two grand finals set in the VFL slash AFL seasons with two teams at 6-0 with a percentage over 150. 1952 being Collingwood and Geelong, they both played in the grand final. 2009, Geelong and St Kilda, both played in the grand final. 2011, Collingwood and Geelong, they both played in the grand final. 2021, Western Bulldogs, and no, it is not Geelong this time, it is the Melbourne Football Club. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, they got the victory last night too. They were quite impressive, to be fair to them. They were, they were, the they were good. They were they very were good. good. So it's two sides now with a percentage of plus 150. And I have no issues with Bulldogs Melbourne Grand Final. None at all. Not one. No, we've got the track record that says that we should be able to, to get this. You know, we've got a 100% Grand Final uh, win ratio when we play the Ds at the MCG. So we'll take that. I'm full just trying, I'm just trying to think of other times we've played them in the finals. I can only think of three instances where we've played Melbourne in a final. 
Yes, we don't want to mention. Um, it says 19, 1946. No, no, don't mention that, please. Oh, well, I just did. 1954, the grand final. Well, well, because I've got going through the times we've played them in the final. It's a cruel I can't just time, though. It. So, yes, you can. We could ignore and, and then, choose history to our liking. And then 1994. So. We were, oh, you've missed the you've missed the prelim. It's uh, uh, the prelim or semi-final in sixty-one. No, sorry, you are right. So it's four times. Yep. So a, so we've got two and two record. Yep. Okay. So yeah. grand finals and semi-finals are our no, friend. No, grand finals in nineteen ninety-four. Oh, that so it was a prelim, wasn't it? It's nineteen sixty-one. It was a preliminary final. Yes. Oh, I thought they had. I thought they just called it a semi-final still then. Okay. So no, prelims so had... and grand finals. Our friend against the demons. So, Very nice. Just for just for, for history. So with the final four system, the first semi-final was between third and fourth. The second semi-final was between first and second, whenever that goes through to the grand final. And then you've got the preliminary final, which is the winner of the first semi-final and the loser of the second semi-final. And, and that was it. It's how it worked. So we yeah, so we we beat Melbourne in the preliminary final in 1961. I think Merv Merv Hobbs might have kicked four goals that day. Got through to the, to the grand final. So, yeah, two and two in finals against Melbourne. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's a long, long, long way to go. Oh, we're well and truly gone, mate. We've got another one, of course, the great man, Jamar. We've already hyped him up to be the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's the greatest thing since Aaron Norton, actually. More so. Right. We'll, we'll conclude that there. Well, let's have it. We'll, we'll talk about um, Eugle Hagen because I know there's a, there's a couple of people that are starting to ask the question now, Nick. But we need to talk about injuries firstly. So players coming out, unfortunately. Medals, win? I mean, that's the question. <laughs> Who's Aaron Norton or Eugle Hagen? Uh, first off, is, is probably, this is probably the, the worst of the lot. So Lin Jong, in the first few minutes of the match, injured his hamstring. And it was such an innocuous incident as well. Um, he's just gone to, to, put, to, to put the bump on, on Callan Ward. And the hamstring's given away a, a few weeks in. They reckon it's pretty bad. He finished the game on, on crutches. It's his first game for the season he's played four matches since the start of the 2019 season 28 2018 is 2019 20, so he didn't play a game at all in 2019 i think no he did not he played no, three he games last year and this is his first game this year how many games did he feature in 2018 i'm gonna have a look at that yeah you yeah you you, you go continue, with that. Yep, he, i'll have a look at that. he might have played seven or eight maybe and it's just a shame for him because he's such a popular figure amongst the the playing group, clearly, and the fan base 10. as well. Ten games in twenty eighteen. With a win loss record of seven and three, if you don't mind. Oh, should be playing him more often. In fact, I think did he did he win did we win each of the three games that he played in last year? Or maybe no, we won two of the we three. We were two maybe. and two and one. one. Which included the St. Kilda defeat. And uh, round two, of course. Tim English, you'll you'll have seen, and there have been a few screenshots of it about uh, copped a knee in the jaw, thanks to Aaron Norton in the, in the last quarter. Now, there's good news and bad news with this. We'll start with the, the bad news. The bad news is that he's definitely going to miss next week with concussion. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. Obviously, with the new mandatory uh, 12-day layoff, he'll he'll be the first bulldog, I think, to be uh, ineligible to play under that. Uh, new legislation. The good news is that there's been talk about um, possibly uh, having to have surgery on his jaw. It l- sounds like it's all good, according to um, Marcus Bondapelli, who went on uh, radio yesterday, and, and he's no doctor. I think Steph Martin too, as well, might have uh, reiterated that point as yeah. well. So he should be so, yeah. should be okay with the the jaw. Hopefully, I mean, as you said, definitely will miss next week. No doubt about that. Hopefully, it won't be any more than that. Uh, he's a very important player, and, and there'll be 
no doubt a lot of discussions about who replaces him because he's a very important part of the of the makeup of the side. And then the last one, which was just a couple of minutes actually before English got uh, clocked in the jaw, Josh Dunkley uh, dislocated his shoulder. Looks like it looked pretty nasty on the on the telly. Went straight off the ground, came back on, did it again. Uh, now he, according to Mark Stevens, he'll need a miracle to avoid a shoulder reconstruction. That was the the, the word that Mark Stevens used, miracle. Dunkley has dislocated his shoulder before. So he did it in 2017 against Richmond, who we're playing next week. It's not the same shoulder this time. So the shoulder he dislocated uh, on Friday, which I think was his right shoulder. It's not the same shoulder that he dislocated before. So it was his left shoulder last time. This time it's his right shoulder. Uh, he was out of the game for about 12 weeks with that first one. So he, missed, he did it in round seven, came back in round no, actually, no, it's 21. not 12 weeks. So he came back around 21. Yeah. So 13, yeah, 13, week 14 absences. weeks included by. He's done it around around six this time. Uh, so if we're going to follow that time frame, we're probably looking at around 20 return, assuming that all goes along the same pathway. Uh, so there'll be a few more games then. And and it, you know, obviously we assume or we hope we'll make the finals. There'll be a pre-finals buy in there as well, but it does mean that if he has going to have to have a reconstruction on that shoulder, he'll be out for a fair while and we'll leave a massive hole in, in what is admittedly a deep Bulldogs midfield, but he's going to spend a fair bit of time on the sidelines. It's just a big point of difference that he adds, of course, too, as I was reiterating to you um, last night or whatever it was, that there's not many players in our midfield still that can do the role that he can. You know, it's not every day that you have, well, we've got Bonds and stuff, of course, you know, and McRae with this big bodied midfielder. But in terms of a pure contested beast, it's, it's quite rare to see that. You know, we've got three, three or four fellas at that size, but not to, not to his exact with his mindset, for instance, you know, it's it's pure contested ball. We know McRae can do it, but I don't know. People are trying to wonder too. Like uh, Brad mentioned, even say Bailey Smith. I don't know if yet if there's enough responsibility for Smith to be able to do that role yet with his with his physique. I'd like to see him have a crack at it though, because it will allow other options, you know, other players to come back into the mix. But it's it's probably a bigger hole than most people think about it even if we do have a very, very deep midfield. I know Libba can do a lot of these things too, but it's it's a huge battering ram that's going to be absent for quite some time. Mm. So we can cope with it, but it'll hurt a lot more than people give credit for. And this is what a lot of people have been discussing. So when we put it out there for questions, a lot of people have come through with their suggestions on, on the changes. Obviously, there's going to be at least three. What do you, what do you reckon? What, what, do you, what do you think would happen? With that one, who who comes in? Because the, the, and I think particularly with English, the makeup of the side will change. Do you do you bring in Jordan Sweet as a ruckman, or do you try and get a bit bit inventive? And we know Luke Beveridge loves being inventive. Do you bring in maybe a key forward? Uh, so there's I was mentioned Shaq and Eugle Hagen running around in the in the VFL. Uh, do you go another way entirely? Do you, do you back Martin to to ruck the the whole match and bring in an, another midfielder? Um, to, to help compensate for for Dunkley, how do you how do you go about it? There's a lot of different ways that that this can go, and there's a, there's a couple of people um, who've asked questions about that. So uh, at Moon Patrol thirty three has put through a, a few questions and, and a couple of comments as well. He asks, uh, with Tim English missing this week, do we bring in a ruckman or do we place him with a tall forward? 
it's it's a lot of contingency plans that go about it too. Because of course, English is the chop out or has become the chop out. Now you've got to look at Richmond. They don't tend to play um, many rucks. They just stick with Vancouver's, and they might have Lynch rotating or whoever who else is going to play the Sean Grigg role for them. But I'd like to think Steph can handle his own. He's he said he's been quite durable for majority of his career by last year. So far, he's held up quite well with us. The thing is, if something were to happen, we've got the two key forwards. That's it. This is if we weren't to select a third. And then you'd have Bruce being the chop out again. Okay. And that would then only leave Norton as the sole tall up front. And Richmond would probably be able to peel off and, and intercept at will, I'd say. So it's it's a query. If there's to be a player that does come in in terms of a key forward, I would like it to be Josh Shackey. Okay. Because it's still him with his motor and his tank would still allow Norton or Bruce to remain as the deepest option or vice versa, at least in that regard. But if you're playing three tools, because Shaki's not exactly the most um, you know, pressuring type, which means you'd have to bring in a very crafty small forward as such, or someone that knows how to hunt, hunt the ball properly. And in that case, you've spoken about Riley West, haven't you? Yes. I would like to consider him as that small forward option. And I, I know we've, you know, both you and I have banged on a little bit about Ben Kavara, but it seems like, of course, that Beveridge really wants a genuine pressure type. Okay, someone that knows how to harass, and that's probably why he's kept Vandermeer a lot of it too, with his leg speed to, to move across the ramp quickly and to constantly put in repeat efforts and such. I haven't checked the numbers per se, but I'm sure that those uh, that there'll be numbers that will back that up, even if he hasn't been getting a lot of the ball, Vandermeer that is. Um, but that's two inclusions, and the third would probably be you know last man out, first man in, or whatever the saying is, and that should be Lipinski. You'd just, be content with those three inclusions. So, so just just run them away again. So Lipinski for mm-hmm. for uh, Jong, then you mm-hmm. said West for Dunkley. I would and, say so. And Shaki for Sweet. Oh, sorry, Shaki for English. English I like that replacing the placement. That's not even in the team. I like that good skill set. Because nah, it just, English, just um, that'd be good. Just came to mind because you was you were because I was sort of thinking about it while you said what happens if Martin goes down or if one of the 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 talls goes down. Yeah, the contingency plan. Would, would would you consider then naming, in case of that, naming Jordan Sweet as the medical sub? It's not a bad shout. If that's right, we've got the medical sub too. That is not a bad shout. Because we've then got, if another injury occurs somewhere else, we've got a lot of defensive cover. We've got a lot of midfield, midfield cover as yeah. it is. So that might be, probably be one of the... That probably might be the, the most appropriate tactical medical sub I've heard of under the beverage tenure. That makes perfect sense, actually. When we spoke about the the sub, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it was well. Who would be someone who could f- cover most positions in case you know, like, and, and just imagine anyone going down. Who's someone you could think of that that would be able to do at least a half decent job of, of filling in that role, at least to an extent. Um, this is obviously a, a very much a with the mindset of covering for the, for the big man. But I, I think you're right in terms of defensive cover with, with height and the midsize and with the midfield, I think there's enough depth in, if one of them goes down that we can replace them with a tall and still be okay. So what you're saying is we're replacing a Ruckman with a Ruckman. Yeah. Interesting, yes. isn't it? Yes. Dunkley out, sweet in. Yep. Very nice. Cause there's McNeil who I imagine will probably keep, will, will Will get it, get his opportunity back in the side again. He looked quite good, kicked a couple of goals uh, t- 
towards the, the opposite end that we were, we were sitting on. I think it'll be hard for him to find his way out of the side, uh, given that. And the fact that as well, the Bulldogs have been quite big fans of him. Uh, he's played every game this year. So I think they, they clearly do rate what he does. So I don't think he'll come out of the side. But that'll be, that'll be one to keep an eye on. And a lot of people have, uh, let's see, has anyone agreed with you? So here we go. So, so from at Salvatore from V1 has suggested that uh, we swap Sweet for English, West for, for John, which is um, uh, not quite what, what, um, what you said. You said Lipinski for John, but West in the side. And then uh, Eugle Hagen for Dunkley. Actually, so that's that's an interesting. He's, one he's getting here. close to being ready, isn't he? Still he, don't he, know though, because have you watched the press conference beverage? Because it seemed to go on a lot longer than his traditional ones. It went for about a good twenty minutes. I, I haven't watched it to be fair. So I wanted to make a, a note of this because, from what I've gathered, uh, and I've I've only seen part of the, the press conference. From what I've gathered, he's he's gone out of his way to mention a few names specifically, and the two that come to mind that stood out was Riley Garcia and Buka Kamas. They mentioned Riley Garcia. And and from what I saw of the, the VFL, I haven't seen the whole game, but I've seen I've seen parts of the, the second term and, and the whole of the second half. In fact, no, I saw parts of the first quarter as well, what am I saying? So I've seen most of the game. And Garcia was not playing the role that you would expect him to play. So when I think of Riley Garcia, I think of you know a spot on the wing, being that outside runner with the pace and, and, the, and the foot skills. He was playing a lot more inside. Actually, like Dunkley, not not playing like Dunkley, but playing that role of the inside midfielder. So Someone's I wonder, described him as a as a Liber junior. So of I'm, course, Tom, that is for sure. Someone yeah. described him as very similar to that. Not as maybe quick, I'd say, decision making, but probably a better executor of the ball or distributor of the ball. That is, and we know the Bulldogs good. I know the Bulldogs rate Garcia. So I've spoken about this a few times already that they went out of their way to trade picks live in the draft to make sure that they got a hold of him. So they rate him very highly. And he had an injury over the off season. So he was a bit behind the eight ball already, but they rate him and he played very well on Friday night. Uh, in, oh, sorry, Thursday night rather. And I've got the uh, numbers here for that as well. So he had 19 disposals and seven tackles. Bukakamas, 18 disposals and 11 marks. Well, across half back, I wouldn't be surprised to see at least one of them on Friday against Richmond. I would say it's probably he more did, likely he to did be not Garcia. mention Shaki's name, though, didn't he? No, he, he didn't, didn't mention Shaki. Don't think he mentioned Shaki. Yeah. I don't know if he mentioned Jamara either. I said, I haven't listened to the presser, but there's some good questions I thought that some of the journalists apparently asked, so I've heard. Um, where you get where you were able to hear Beveridge dwell into a bit more about tactics and stuff. So I'm actually going to really have to have to listen to this one. Did you hear anything about that too? No, no, not yet. No, you get to that no, part because apparently it's really interesting to listen to. But um, no, I wouldn't mind seeing Garcia get a game sometime soon. I think like, I you think and I like him very much. I think he'll play this week. I just got a funny feeling because we know what beverage is like with these uh, with these selections. It's not it's not quite been selection bingo this week, although. Five changes was was quite drastic last week, I thought, especially coming off a win. But I, he hasn't he hasn't done it too often this year. But I just got a feeling about Garcia this week. The thing is, it, it might sound a bit out there, but I don't think there'd be many fans disappointed with it. Not that they're going to be, you know. Everyone wants to see players, no. you know, get their games and such. But I think there'll be a lot of excitement about it too, and if how things 
are set to be, this is probably going to be the biggest home and away crowd we'll have ever played in front of. So I think, think it should was... smash. What was what is the record? Uh, now, look, you keep you keep going, but that, I'll have a sus. That I'm pretty sure was against North Melbourne. Uh, no, we had, we had a I had a look at it last night. We had Richmond in round 11, 1974. Um, that was around sixty eight and a half thousand. Give me a second. Attendances, uh, highs and lows. Here we go. Yeah, round 11, 1974 at the MCG, 68,447. Oh, I think we've got a... Second highest was the minor premiership clash, round 22, 1998. 68,050 people against the Kangaroos. And of course, 67,920, round nine, 2006 against the Pies on a Friday night. I think this might be a good that, segue into the... White. Yeah, obviously. That's I think that might be a good segue into the VFL though. So on Thursday night... Footscray and the Giants clashed, and I don't know where it was. I think you said it was in Blacktown. Uh, it was in Blacktown. Blacktown? It, it would have been at their home. It was at um, their home ground, wasn't it? Oh, one of them at least. No, I don't know how many home grounds they've got, actually, but it would have had to have been that one. Even or fairly close, actually, in the first half. It was quite a quite a good contest to watch uh, early on. So at halftime, it was just the two points in it, but Footscray blew them away after halftime. 13 goals to two. And they won 21-9, 135 to 10, 363. A lot of goal kickers. Headlined by Jamari Hagen, who kicked five goals. Mitch Hannon finally starting to find his feet. And Riley West kicked three. West kicked all three of those goals in the third term. Did you did you see how those goals were kicked exactly, please? West's? Mm-hmm. Two of them were, I think at least two of them were as a result of very strong one-on-one contested marks in the goal square actually which might surprise a few he's not a, he doesn't he's not a contested marker riley west that's for sure but no they were they were one-on-one contests and, mm. and he showed a quite mm. surprising that strength just, that, that just shows great down. core strength there doesn't mm. it because he would have been able to read a lot of the ball drops from the center clearances not not, not respective night but in general terms that shows that his body positioning is, is at, at a very very high level too and because he's not a not a huge frame as well but and if you can that's, find that's and if you can Get a clip of the game. Watch uh, Mitch Hannon's third goal in the last quarter. It was a magnificent goal. He's just uh, grabbed the ball. He's amazing. Burst, burst through a few players amazing. and he's just slotted from 50 metres. That was a fantastic goal. Uh, and Whiteman's too. Lewis Butler was another one who actually had a, had a good game. I don't know if he's in line for a recall, but he kicked two goals. And I think he found a fair bit of the footy. He might have had 20 touches as well. Jordan Sweet, who we've already spoken about, and Dominic Badendo, who I am a big fan of, kicked a couple of goals as well. Shaki, Kavara, Lipinski, and Waitman, whose, whose goal you said was, was fantastic as well in the last quarter. Make sure to watch that one. They each got a goal of their own. Lipinski, who got the who got a goal, did as he pleased. He found 35, I think 35 disposals, it was. Will Hayes continues to dominate at VFL level at 28. McComb is a, is a VFL listed player. Reese McComb had 25 disposals, as did Riley West. So big ball winning numbers through the midfield and a lot of players getting in the act with multiple goals as well. Very encouraging. And it means that the double is on again. So Footscray are on top of the VFL ladder and the Western Bulldogs yeah. are on top of the yeah. AFL ladder. Not just not just that. You bring that up too. Did you mention the double? Just actually going to lead into that as well. Yeah. So I mentioned those statistics before, you know, with the percentage over 150, you know, for Melbourne and the Dogs, yeah. both 6-0. and oh. Yep. It's ironic that you think that the second place team of the BFL is Melbourne's affiliate side, Ooh. Casey Demons. Like this. This is this is interesting, isn't it? You got both affiliates and both, of course, senior teams sitting top and second in each respective competition, 
both got percentages of greater than 150. In this case, in the VFL, percentages of both greater than 200. So, and these sides have already played off in a grand final in 2016 VFL. Yes, Dogs they did. Melbourne, they? Played off in a grand final in 1954. It'd be very strange, wouldn't it, to see, as you say, another double. Well, it's a very small sample size, to very, be fair. Very, very, very small. But it's pretty funny, though. It's just ironic that they're sitting second too. So aside from those those three that you've flagged, so you obviously you've mentioned you've mentioned Shaki, who I, I don't know. I mean, he took. I think he took. Won't be, I don't think. So he kicked one goal. He only kicked the one goal, but I think he took six or seven. Um, he took eight marks, in fact. So he had 13 disposals, eight marks, mm-hmm. two tackles, kick one goal, two. So it could have been, a, you know, with some accurate kicking, could have been a decent return for him. Even he, two hit outs. Two he, hit outs. There you he go. He's a ruck roll. He and West both look much stronger, I've noticed as well. So Shaki's always been sort of a, a lightweight as far as key forwards go. And, and West has, you know, always been a bit bit small as well, I think, from, from what we've seen at AFL level. They both look like they've bulked up a fair amount over the preseason. They look stronger. I think that will hold them in good stead. And and as I said last week about Shaki, it must be terribly frustrating for him to not be able to break into this side. Because he's not playing badly at VFL. Still has, still has a contract, of course, for, for next year. I just get up here because I keep track of the... a bit confused with that too. He does have a deal for next year. He signed a two-year extension on top of his existing uh, 2020 deal. This was like November 2019. So it took him through to end of 2022. So I've got him. He's kicked 16 goals in his seven games at VFL level. That's including practice matches. But 16 in, in seven. And it's only the it second time he's better too. Yeah, and it's only the second time that he's kicked fewer than, than two goals in, in that stretch as well. So he's three, two, three, zero. Uh, he got he was injured in, in that game, I think. A two, five, and one. We haven't even spoken about the main man in that forward line yet, Jamari Eugle Hagen. Five goals. Second time he's kicked five goals at, at Fearful this year. So I've definitely robbed of a got sixth, a, mate. Robbed of a chance to kick six. Oh, he was. I should have got a free kick for a shot at six after the, the siren. So if I've got it right here, two, four. So that's 18 goals he's kicked in, I say six and a half games. He's played seven games, but he spent the second half in his car on the way to the hospital in that game against Essendon with the with the lacerated thumb. So just he's just got a, just a cut on his thumb. That was a, that was a big blow, wasn't it? We were worried it was all over. 18 goals in mm. six and a half games for him. It, it's quite incredible that he's done that. And there's still not serious talk about him coming into the senior side. But he, he has to be closing in. I want to potentially have him as the uh, medical sub. Even now, That's not the way to debut of uh, the number one draft pick, for nope. sure. But no. we've had a couple of interesting number one draft pick starts. You mentioned the lacerated thumb. And then, of course, when Boyd was brought over, he had, what, his appendix removed, didn't he? Yes, yeah, he was going to, they were going to, and they didn't, yeah, I remember this story. They, he had, yeah, he was going to get his appendix removed and they didn't want to bother the club. So they were going to get, they were going to go down to the, is the Epworth, in, is the Epworth Hospital in Richmond? I believe so, yes. Yeah, they were going to get the, the person on the, on the night shift to slice him open. <laughs> his appendix. Well, that was the, that was the quote that I think um, that, that was used in the, in the article. 
slice um, him open. Yeah. Jeez. And as soon as the uh, as soon as the, the club heard about that, they they told they told them to turn right around and head straight to the club that do it themselves. Um yeah, that was that was, I'm sure that was that was nice. No, no consideration. I'll, I'll give you a minute to, to settle down, Nick. He, he, I'm enjoying he, that story. Yeah, I, haven't, he, I haven't heard that one in a long time. Actually, he, he thinks he, he he finds me hilarious, Nick. He's he's very good. But not you, the story. You're you're a pain. I'm very good at quality telling pain. The story, I must though. admit, though, very, very good talented storyteller. Story. Yeah, very good mm. at that. No, this is marvelous. No danger of, or any chance of Eugle Hagen playing this week. I think it might be in consideration if we don't go with um, an additional tall. For instance, like say, let's say no Shaki, no Jamo, and let's say that English doesn't properly recover from you know this jaw soreness. Let's say against Port Adelaide, the the, is Port the following week, yeah, round. You know, who are we playing in round at Carlton? Is it Carlton? Yes, Carlton. Oh, Carlton. Let's say if he doesn't, um, you know, get up for that game, then you might see Jamara debut. Then that's no hunch at all. That's just just wondering in case a structure wise next week doesn't exactly go to plan. So it'd be interesting to see him debut at 3.20 on a Sunday afternoon on Mother's Day against Carlton. The old foe who has somehow just happened to beat us even when we've been good. And when they've been poor, they still annihilate us. So we'll see what happens. I think that that decision of, of the tall that replaces English is going to be a very interesting because I think there's three at the moment. And this is assuming that they bring in a tall. Whether it's that's, sweet, that's 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 what we're not too sure yeah, about. Whether, really. it's, whether it's sweet, Shaggy or Yugal Hagen, if they choose to go or, down that path, or an additional small, that's the thing. They could go West Lipinski and then bring back Kabara, who was the sub, a medical sub last week. Even if they wanted to, you know, you never know. They might bring in another defender for crying out loud. That's what they tend to do a lot now. Well, they had Lewis Young rucking in against Gold Coast. Exactly, it's, it's very strange, isn't it? Just, just want to uh, make just a couple more um, points that have that have come through here as as well. When I've uh, put the the word out that there'll be some questions, I think one we sort of already alluded to from at George Darroch. Darroch, sorry, George. I hope I got that right. At least one of those two guys. Uh, other teams catching up to our style of play, and when do we expect to see Jamara Eugle Hagen on the field? Well, I think with, with Jamara, and I think we've sort of established it's not far away. It's not far away. He can't keep kicking bags of five. And, and continue to be kept out of the side. As well as Bruce and Norton may be playing, you can't overlook form. Uh, like eventually, it, it just it's it's just too telling. So I think there'll be an opportunity there. And we'll just see what happens over the next couple of weeks. And uh, Nick's not sure. I'm wondering, I'm hoping to see him get the game. Well, I do want to see him play. I think we all do. Friday just, night at the MCG. You couldn't script it more than that, couldn't you though? Oh. I want the lights, a... biggest home and away game the club's had in years. It might be ever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Capacity wise, and yeah, I wonder yeah. where do you think that this match would then, in terms of the magnitude, you know, to, to establish ourselves as a legitimate threat. We, you know, we're a good side for sure, etc., yeah. etc. Now, I might have mentioned several years, which is probably not exactly accurate, but there was similar hype, of course, to the round three Hawthorne game mm-hmm. in 2016. There was. That was that was a that was that was game. amazing. That was like a cauldron at Marvel Stadium. That uh, was it Saturday evening or something? Sunday. Was it Sunday was it Sunday? Yeah, that was incredible. That, we'll see how much it raises the roof, the you know the imaginary roof at the MCG yeah. on Friday night. Like a genuine champs, beautiful. A genuine champs versus challenger. 
match. Mm. It's and, a shame there he, won't be a few players from both sides, I think. Yeah, so certainly we've, we've mentioned the players that we've got out. Dustin Martin is the, the big cheese at Richmond in terms of an on-field perspective. He will not Kane play. Lambert as well. Yeah, so Dustin Martin has been, well, he was ruled out of last night's game or Saturday night's game against Melbourne with concussion. Won't play. It's exactly the same case with English. Definitely will not be playing. Kane Lambert didn't finish the match. Uh, Damien Hardwick said it would be doubtful that he would play next week. Uh, Dion Presti has also um, suffered a setback in training. You won't be seeing him either. With his calf, that is. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Uh, Grimes finished the match on the bench. They think he'll be okay, though. Um, So I would be surprised if he didn't play. But both sides have got a few players out, and and they're not just – they're not just fringe players as well. We're talking about some big, big names. These, in these, are, these are genuine quality. Of course, Williams for us too. You know, he's still not a, a deemed an A-grader, but he's definitely played a lot of A-grade games and has shown that. So there's, yeah, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of talent sitting on the pine for this match, but there's still more than enough there. You know, it'd be ironic, you know, where Trelaw mentioned a few years back, you know, no, no. having the better <laughs> list. And now he gets the chance to prove it against the Tigers or the team who he didn't really intend on playing for. Mm. This, so is wrong, gonna, this is going to be on for young and old. I can't wait for Friday night. This is going to be... Get this is going to be... Tickets, please. It, it, it's, it's not... I think it's quite rare you get a game like, like the one against Hawthorne a few years ago where you've got the, a clear champion side and a clear contender. A, a, the, the number one threat to the throne. And that's what, that's what it was in 2016. There wasn't anyone else that was at that time that was, that was really ready to in challenge In terms of up-and-coming teams. Yep. This is very much like that. There's, I, I feel a real 2016. There's a real 2016 feeling to to what is going on at the moment. I've said this to you a couple of times. I could, yeah, I could Richmond, feel it a, a little bit ago too, but now it's starting to shake, isn't it? Richmond now feels like the Hawthorne of then. And we all know Shall how bring, this story ends. Shall I bring a saucepan to the game? And once we get the result... Not a short uh, saucepan, should I just bring something there, some sort of kitchenware, and then you know, take the lid off. The lid is sort of, off. Sort of kitchenware. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say a fork or a spoon, something that doesn't have a lid. No, on not it. at all. Because I know where you were bring going a, with that one. Yeah, bring a pot and pan and the lid is off. That's all I can say. It's going it's, it's to be, it, oh, it's, the stage is set. The stage is mm-hmm. set. And it is yeah, a shame yeah. that Martin, the Dunkley, Lambert, English, Prestia, Williams won't be playing. It is a real shame because these are the games when you want the be- each side's best twenty-two out there. You you want you want them to have a full uh, injury-free list and just let these sides go at it. Uh, now we. Oh, I can't we're, wait. We're, I cannot wait. No, it's, it, we could we could talk about the excitement towards this match all week, and I think the closer we get, the more it's going to build up. It is just going to it is going to be one we'll, that you are not going to want to move. To. We'll, I think we'll briefly touch a bit about the fixture, of course, just to get through it. So round yep. nine, uh, the dogs playing Port Adelaide May fifteenth, seven ten, Adelaide Oval. Of course, that was released uh, mid last or mid this week, still technically. Uh, and round 10, of course, has been unveiled with us being the home side against St Kilda at May 22nd at 4.35 at Marble Stadium, of course. So um, good to see at least the AFL getting those matches out of, or, you know, through the fixture. There's still going to be a rolling fixture. No one knows what games are locked in to win. So yep. at least a little bit of clarity there. Yeah, which is always always what you want. Just a couple of other points that, that were made 
uh, by some of our fans. Uh, at Move Patrol 33 again, uh, so Jason, I see one of the betting companies has already paid out on Melbourne winning the premiership. You may as well wrap the season up on this week's podcast and focus on the November draft. <laughs> Nick, thank you, you got, very much. That's a you, wise bit of talk. Have you got any, I agree with him. Have you got any names with our with our first pick? Yeah. Oh no, not at the can, moment. Can we, can we bid all on, this information? Can we bid around, on Nick? Uh, can we bid on Nick Dacos? Oh, Dacos? Yes, we can. We can do it with um, the leftover picks that we got from Collingwood last year, for sure. You know, they can, a, you know, pay us to take for and We can take Dacos as well. If Collingwood get first refused on um, Nick, Nick Dacos, the draft is just a complete mm. broad. It's a completely broken system, Nick. Exactly. And it, never has, and it never has been before. It never has been before, but it will be now. Um, and there was something else, uh, a couple of other points here from uh, at Lachlan underscore Kelso. Uh, reckons Keith takes Lynch, Wood takes Revolt, an opportunity for maybe blooding Booker Karmas, who we mentioned has you know, certainly come a long way and, and having a good season, Karmas. I don't know if, he, if, in terms of debutants, I think Garcia is more likely than Karmas. Uh, he also asks, with the Tigers midfield now thin, Grimes looking battered and Bolter susceptible, we have a great opportunity to double down in our midfield dominance and forward prowess. Lipinski in for Dunkley, Shaki in for English, and Yugel Hagen in for Jong. Time for a headed monster or a four-time headed monster. Four-headed monster. Four-headed monster. Four-headed monster. Shaki, Yugel, Hagen, Hydra. Bruce and Norton. Mm, that's the thing. You lose one head of the snake in Tim English and you bring in two more, two more. In Shaki and Jamara. Like that's it. how it works. I like it. I like oh, God, it. the Hydra. Uh, got so many things to work on. There's some news about the, the women's side as well. So their season and the, the competition itself obviously has wrapped up in the, in the past couple of weeks, but they had their awards ceremony the other night. Um, now the Ellie Blackburn, Nick was, well, we love Ellie Blackburn. She's, she's my favorite of the, the women's side, Sheen, Sheen Huntington. So like the, the Bont and Pellier and Norton of the, of the women's side, I, I think, um, excellent players, uh, the both of them. And she featured quite well, uh, did, did Blackburn in the, in, in several prominent. camps. So of course she's uh, been uh, finished third in the AFLW Players most valuable player, of course, being voted by her teammates, and then alongside uh, the rest of the competition, does the remainder of the vote. So, mm-hmm. uh, finishing third behind Brianna Davy, the captain of Collingwood, former Carlton, three hundred nineteen votes. Carrick Bowers, Fremantle, three hundred thirteen. Blackburn with two hundred fourteen. She's also made the AFL WAA team. So, I'm not too sure how many times she's done that, but at least that's the first, maybe a second. Um, she does have now, of course, her second club best and fairest as well after finishing runner-up, that uh, was in 2018 or such, um, and as well as, of course, being the inaugural uh, joint winner. And um, what else have we got there? We've got, ironically, also four former Bulldogs of ours, Megan McDonald at the Cats, Monique Conte and Katie Brennan at the Tigers, and Emma Carney at, at North Melbourne. They also made the A18. We've got three girls featured in the 22 under 22. You know, Bonds for us, of course, back to the men's, he's featured five out of five in his time. That's Izzy Huntington, Jess Fitzgerald, and Eleanor Brown. Um, yep, they're featured in that under 22s team. And once more for Ali Blackburn, finishing third in the actual league, best and fairest itself, behind Cara Bowers and Brianna Davey once again. So it's not a bad day at the office at all for, for the dogs there in that department. Um, we've got a fair few other awards. Um, for the girls to get through. Just by the one vote as well. Um, Indeed it Blackburn. is. So she only lost. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. um, Nate, when the, in the, in the league best first count, she only lost it by one vote, I think 15 votes to, to 14. Yep. That's the best and fairest though too. So we've got so Blackburn once more, 72 yep. votes. 
Kirsty Lamb, 63. Izzy Huntington, 51. Eleanor Brown, 42. And Bonnie Toogood with 39. Got Katie Lynch and Jessica Fitzgerald. They were the best young players at the club. Or award that uh, medal. We've got Bonnie Toogood once again getting the community award. Celine Moody, the trainer's award. We've got Diana Berry, the coach's award. Eleanor Brown for most improved at the club. And Bonnie Tugert and Bailey Hunt as the Players Player Award at the Western Bulldogs. You weren't sure that Blackburn to Australian honours, that's her third. So 2017, 2018, and then uh-huh. last year. Uh, where did where Tugert finish in the, the count? Bonnie Tugert? Uh, the Where'd club, it was fifth with 39 votes. Hmm. I thought that was a bit low, actually. I thought I thought she had a very good season. I thought she was. I thought, I thought she did too. I thought she was probably third behind Blackburn and, and Huntington. If you're just asking, like, it's just it's just my opinion. So once again, I just ran at that uh, top five. I can just find it again. So Blackburn, Lamb, Huntington, Brown, and Too Good. Okay. I like this side. Um, obviously, there's a lot of th- three nominees in that under twenty two side. Which is which is the future of the the club, obviously. And you've got Blackburn, who's still the uh, the main the face figure. of the club. Yep. And I think they've and from where they've come from in the last couple of years in terms of rebuilding, they built a very solid base this year. And they were very close, uh, only only a game or so outside the finals, but they were they were right in contention for for most of the season. They had some good wins as well. But the one against Melbourne stands out, uh, Western Melbourne in particular. Oh, that was a, they would a have learned a fair bit win. of lessons though yeah. in that last three or four game stretch, and they oh, showed absolutely, them, absolutely. They, they, look, they got admittedly they copped it a little bit by uh, by the Magpies and by the Crows, but they showed more than enough against North Melbourne in the back end too to suggest that there's enough to work with. They've got the core group now built, or they've re-established a new core group. The support cast is there. There's a lot more maturity. You look for them to be quite aggressive in their trade period by bringing in a few more mature uh, age players. I think to to just round off the list. Absolutely. Not saying next year, but oh, they should be pushing for finals next year, but probably the season later is where they go back. We'll have to keep an, keep an eye on, on that one as we approach the AFLW season for next year. It's a long way to go. And so obviously we've got uh, the, the men's side that are cruising along at the top of the ladder, which we're going to want to focus on very closely as well. But I think that's going to have to just about do us for another week at the Salty Bulldogs. It's been another week of joy celebrations with the Bulldogs being ranked first in just about everything. Uh, long may it continue. If you want to listen to all of our other episodes throughout the season, you can check them out wherever you check for all your other podcasts, uh, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We've also got our social media channels on Twitter at The Salty Bulldog, Facebook and YouTube by typing in The Salty Bulldog, Instagram that.salty.bulldog and on our website www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home where you can check out all of our articles, including play ratings and the lessons that we learn on a week-to-week basis. Until next week, though, my name is Matthew Donald. I've had Nick Galea with me in the studio. Wherever you have been listening around the world, we do appreciate your time. And until next week, take care.